Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we no longer talk about Animorphs because we've already done that. But we're not ready to say goodbye to Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. Turns out they wrote more books. What? Books that we will be reading and casually discussing? You bet. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month as we morph into the Apple Grant Book Club. Obviously, welcome Amor Samus, blah, 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 who cares? We're Googling Warhorse stuff right now. <laughs> First of all, Remus Lupin. Let's find out who that actor was. Uh, I forgot his name. But, like, I'm pretty sure. Me too. Like, so the first family where they get Joey so they can plow the field or whatever, and there's a drunk farmer guy who has, like, PTSD. And uh-huh. the guy who they owe money to, I thought that was Lupin. It might have been. Okay, so his name is. David Thulis. David Thulis. Warhorse. Oh, I think things are looking good. Does that man love a horse movie? (laughs) He's like, oh, my agent wants me to do another horse movie? Absolutely, I will. Absolutely. I will love all the horses. Listen, Black Beauty changed my life. (laughs) Warhorse. No, I... Warhorse, maybe not. What was his name again? David, David Thulis. Was I love this Google pop up suggested question? Was the warhorse and warhorse a horse? <laughs> of course, of course, of course, of course it was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's right here. Yeah, yeah. He's in it. He's in it. He's in it. Oh, and Bendy Toots, I forgot. Yeah, Bendy Toots plays a big part in it. Big old boy and Tiddles. As lions. Husband Tiddles. Okay, let's look up Warhorse Lion so I can get an, an image on this guy. Yeah, look, there he is with his fucking mutton chops and his right. hat. Yeah. His tweed jacket. Hell yeah. He's a rich man. He's like, rich man. He's like, give me my fucking money. Your horse can't plow that field. You bought a fine thoroughbred, and what you needed was a plow horse, you idiot. <laughs> you need a big you boy. Fucking Not this need twiggy bastard. Boy. <laughs> this twiggy bastard. <laughs> Look at his little stick legs. He'll never plow through those rocks. Oh, no. It turns out if you just add water, just... anything is possible. And believe in yourself and the power of friendship. Mm-hmm. The heart of the cards. <laughs> through the heart of the cards. That's how Joey plowed the field. <laughs> he beat David Thielis in a card game. A children's card It's time game. to do a duel. Oh, no. I call Brown Eyes Bay Warhorse. <laughs> I fucking love Warhorse. So, like, when I moved to San Francisco 10 years ago, don't let's not talk about it. I I was living out of my suitcase for a week because I was waiting for my pod of stuff to get there. And yeah. I think I had like two DVDs with me and one was War Horse and I watched it at least three times in that week. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. It's wonderful. <laughs> I love that movie. 
I I love that movie too. <laughs> Oh, would you like a another sad story about movies? Sure. Not sad story. Oh. I, I okay. So <laughs> just get it over with. Fly away home. Oh, <laughs> of course. Right. Okay. We were talking about Anna Paquin to start, and of right. course, then I said fly away home because you know my particular issues. Right. And uh, <laughs> I know your movie Austin algorithm. Was- my movie algorithm and Austin was like we should watch it when we're in Atlanta and he was like we'll go rent the VHS was what he said and I'm like why would we do that and I didn't listen the VHS thing did not stop me what I said was why would we do that I have the DVD DVDs are the height of technology I don't even know oh here it's right here oh my god it's it's right there it's in its case and everything (laughs) yeah there's a gosling right on the cover. Oh, ready look, to go. look at him. Oh, look at it. Look at that nice, like, directional, diagonal composition. Yeah, goose to it's girl like, with goose to like, man. Yeah, it's like dad, girl, baby goose. Yeah, look at him go. Look at him go. Beautiful sunset. Birdifer, birdifer geese. I did 10 minutes later. I was like, wait a minute. Where are we going to get a VHS player? And Austin's like, it's called a VCR, Alex. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> wow, Austin sassy. He was. He was very sassy. Oh, no. So anyways, maybe I'll break my 15-year streak or whatever of not watching Fly Away Home. It's been I think it's only 11 years. It's been 11 years. It's been that long. Wow. Is it just because you watched it so much? I don't know. I don't know what it was because, like, I'm I'm not a I'm not averse to watching it. I would love to watch it again. Yeah, just never put it on again. Hmm. It's like when a parent picks up their child for the last time. What? <laughs> what? What? What does that mean? <laughs> what? Have you ever seen those posts on Facebook? No. It's like sometimes people post these things, like always, like give your children an extra hug because one day. Like, you'll never know when it is, but there's some day that you'll pick up your child and that will be the last time you ever pick them up. Because, like, you don't pick up your adult children. I see. I see. So they're trying to say, like, there's a moment in time. I don't know. Sure. Don't... Yeah. Listen, Before you're like breaking it down, I know it less. Sure. But, I... okay. So little Tommy's now eight years old. And yeah. your your back is going out, and you're like, "No, Tommy, I can't pick you up. This is a yeah. lot. Like the last time was the last time. I can't do this anymore." And then, right. and then, and you... fifteen years later, you regret it. Yep. I was gonna ask, isn't that the plot of that children's book? I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. Doesn't the adult man sneak into the child's room and yeah. hold him when he's an adult, or is it that the old man gets held? I have never heard of this book in my life. Really? Yeah. Oh no! Is this a weird thing that only I knew no, about? I'm sure. I'm sure other people have heard of it. I just read like, I don't know, Animorphs. Yeah, Babysitters Club. Yeah. Fucking. This is like pre that. This is one of those you turn the page. There's two sentences, but it's like a fucking like oh. eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. Okay. It's just like. So like a yeah. Wait, is it like a picture book or is it like yeah? Okay. It's like a big picture book. Okay. Huh. I'm going to look that up. Not now, but someday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the moral of that story is like, 
it's just basically like how your parents like it's like the Oreo effect of your your parents taking care of you, you taking care of your parents like that. Uh huh. It's a story kind of about that, but from a, a lens of loving, uh, as opposed as to opposed horrific, to. <laughs> crippling debt and, and horrible, crushing responsibility for people world. you don't love. Yeah, you came into this world wearing diapers. You're gonna go out wearing diapers. Yeah, yeah. It's basically that. I'm so sorry to everybody who read that book and enjoyed it. <laughs> and we're just loudly disparaging it on this podcast. Yeah, because like I feel like there's that type of book and like then there's people that have read Animorphs and we're like, Yeah, okay, but did you actually consider the crushing gray morality that is taking care of your parents in a dying world when they've left you only a shamble economy? Oh, I thought this was going to be like End of Animorphs when the parents are with them in the Hork-Pajir Valley and the kids are exactly like, that. Mom and Dad, calm down. We got this. We've been doing this for three years. Fuck off. Exactly. That's the true, that's the true moral <laughs> of I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. It's that sometimes your parents become so useless you have to go pick them up in the middle of the night because they're, they don't know how to raise a child anymore. They somehow infantilize themselves moments after you're spreading your wings into the real world they can no longer handle scenarios it's like that dad who's like we can't fight the york invasion and the kid's like i'm gonna stay and fight with the hork and he was like okay bye yeah fuck yeah i hate that book and he died oh no he did die and we did not give a shit we didn't at all He's like, oh, let me do a Star Trek thing. Isn't this in direct opposition to the Prime Directive? You fuck. Does any of this seem like Star Trek to you? Oh, no. That was so mad. It's just like, it also... The the thing that I find I think about the most from that book are two very minor details that are like throwaway lines. The one is that they could suddenly morph with shoes and credit cards. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was the inexplicable, they gave Ax and Millie a, a fucking major in alien school. They're like, oh yeah, he was the hydroponics guy. <laughs> and it's like, well, where was this for the other 46 books? <laughs> Or whatever it was. I got so... <laughs> it was so stupid. That boy didn't do fucking shit in school. He was too busy thinking about girls and games. Yes, constantly. Oh. Uh, the only thing it did for me was like make me appreciate Cassie even more because that was the book where she got the beaver yeah, through the hand. She, like, and was just like... Oh, lifted fine. the beaver off the ground. It was dangling from her hand. She was just like, it's here like we a- go. <laughs> Here's a 60-pound rodent hanging from my flesh. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> Fucking, that was so cool. Yeah, she was metal as fuck in that book. Oh, my God. I love The that. rest of it, though? Mm, into the trash. <laughs> into the trash. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then they, like, they had to retcon the next book that they could morph with shoes and credit cards. Oh, my God. Like, the next book. Girl. How did that get to print? Like, I, I feel like they had, like, that's a egregious error. Yeah. Yep. That that one's on stink list. Yeah. Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, where we talk about Animorphs again. 
<laughs> yeah, I know we said we were starting with Warhorse, but obviously the natural conclusion of Warhorse is animals. Listen, there's a war, and there's another war. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all it's all connected, circular. And they use horses to fight in the war. Yeah, it's just one of them is children horse. <laughs> nope. No, that's not what I meant to say. Oh my god. So we're almost done. Um, oh my god. I don't know fucking how. It like I yeah. I I don't even recognize these people anymore. Who are they? The like I when we got to the point where you're like we're stopping here, like I stopped there and then I was like what the fuck? What? This is where we're stopping. Oh, did we stop in the right place? We stopped it. Yeah, at part 5. Yeah, okay. The camps. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and you're yeah. just like, just stop there, Alex. And I'm like, you what now? You, I don't understand the question. I don't understand the question. Stop here? Here is where you want me to stop? Now? Oh, no. I Listen, I think I need, I think I needed to stop before what is probably going to happen next. Like, yeah. but okay, also, I don't want to stop. This was a fucking brutal section that we read. Uh Uh-huh. It was just a grind, a slog. I don't even know chapter to chapter. It all blurred together in one gray night of terror and destruction. That's not true. There was a few points that I remember. But, like, a lot of it was, like, just this brutal, snowy, shitty, terrible, terrible slog. Like, it's cold. The war's not over. We don't know. Everything sucks. We're going insane. We're out of supplies. We're gonna die. Like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so interesting to me. Because I just edited episode three, which was the um, the the massacre of the Orator town. Mm-hmm. And, like, that feels so different emotionally from this part like they're both awful Mm -hmm. but like that was really like okay let's highlight the travesties of war from like a civilian standpoint and this is like the travesties of war after you know four years or whatever on these people and like in like the worst fucking environments at like Mm -hmm. the worst fucking point the lowest they've ever been and it's just like a different kind of emotional despair almost it i mean it absolutely is and i think after order it was like i'm mad like mm-hmm. i'm mad at this and i there's like i want to take action and then after this part it was like i'm demoralized and yeah. i'm beaten down yeah yeah it was totally different yeah and, like, even I feel like the last time we saw a Frangie, like, she's, like, gotten to a new point in this one. Oh, my God. Frangie, like, plummeted. Oh, yeah. This... Oh, my God. She drank that alcohol with no hesitation. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it was really interesting how Rainy played off of Frangie. Oh, yeah plummet too like it was almost like rainy's like i recognize that Mm -hmm. 
I've been there. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. And then Rio just like mm. blowing my mind, man. Oh, I love Rio. I love Rio too. I can't believe I didn't like Rio at the beginning. I, she's not at all the character she was at the beginning. No. So, like, no, not even close. Like, oh my god, like, so different. Like, I feel like Rainy and Frangie both started off in a very different place than Rio. Rio was just kind of like a blank slate of a person. Right. And, like, all of that got filled in. Whereas, like, I feel like Rainy and Frangie both had, like, this key personality thing that just got, like, twisted and distorted over time. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. I totally agree with that. Ah, Which is, like, ah, it's so interesting. It's, ah. It's, okay, again, I'm just going to tie it into a weird Anwars thing. But it was, like, Rio was the character that had the war waiting to happen to her and found her purpose through the war and it yeah. seems like she was just waiting for something yep whereas like frangi has convictions rainy has convictions that have been stripped away from them like yep. it's yeah oh. rio was very rachel without the rage <laughs> oh. yep shit what what is up with these people and wanting to like write characters that are twisted and corrupted by war like what i don't know they're so good at it (laughs) they're so good at it i don't even know because like this really does feel like i shouldn't compare these books to animorphs but like you know ever so often you come across a line where you're like oh that's like that that perfectly mirrors animorphs like the whole like there's a couple lines in here where people say like you've done enough, you've done more than enough, that like, yep. you've had your war. I'm like, that's like a direct quote from Animorphs. Yep. Like when Jake was talking to Marco, when Marco wanted to bow out. Um, also maybe oh for Cassie God, too, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's hard not to compare them because it's like, again, like you're taking children and like putting them through hell and seeing what comes out the other side. But like, I don't know. But like, it doesn't feel like exactly it doesn't feel like like a copy of animorphs like it feels no oh my god no yeah it's just thematically they hit some of the same notes yeah but all the characters are very uniquely them themselves yeah so absolutely so cool absolutely like there's no point where i'd look at rio and say like oh that's like rachel Mm -hmm. in any way Mm -hmm. so like the comparison is very much just Mm -hmm. the aspect of waiting for something to happen to you which is like I that's a super interesting character choice I feel like cuz I I don't know if I just don't read the right type of literature for that but I feel like that's something I don't come across a lot like I feel like in a way that isn't like I am the main character and the thing will happen to me so I get everything I've ever wanted like I don't see uh-huh. that as a way of like nothing was happening to me and then I found this thing that I was good at that I hate like that's I don't know. Yeah, it's like, it's a very different take on, like, the hero's journey, where it's like, you're going to take this person who has nothing going for them, you're going to throw them through all these obstacles, and they're going to come out glorious, and, like, they're going to have hardships, but they're going to come out on top and glorious. And, And Catherine and Michael just are like, 
nope, we're going to put them through the ringer and they're going to fall in the dirt and then they're going to be a shell of their former selves and, and have been like, why the fuck did I go through that? And I just, I really like that. Yeah, I love that. It's really good. I like, I don't, it's such a compelling story. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I don't know if Animorphs ruined me when I was young, but like, it, there's just something about it. Like when you come out and everything's just good, like it yeah. feels like a cop out. You're like, oh, well that ended on like, that's like when you bite into an apple and it's one of the super mealy, shitty flavor ones. Oh You're God. Like, oh, I expected more from you, <laughs> Apple. <laughs> but like, yeah, they're just like, they're so good. And like, I don't know. I feel like that's what got me with the Hunger Games too. Like it felt like one of the first books that I read since Animorphs mm-hmm. where they got to the ending and they're like, they got everything they ever wanted and they were fucking miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's the real tale, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. I yeah. I don't know. I I want I want to read more shit that makes me feel like like Animorphs and like Frontlines makes me feel. Yes. I just don't know how to get it. Right. It's a it's like there's no algorithmic way to plug that in and get it. Like yeah. Because, like, I read a book recently where it was very much, like, here are morally gray characters. Like, they're kind of playing, like, the hero and the villain archetype, but they're very twisted. And they're kind of, like, doing, like, the villain's kind of doing heroic shit and trying to stop the hero who's doing villainous shit, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of like that. So I'm like, okay, like, morally gray characters, like, oh, this is going to talk about all the shit. Right. And then I got to the end and I'm just like, that was nothing. That was so shallow compared to, like, what I'm looking for. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know I complain about this like every podcast, but it's like nothing is as good. It's just <laughs> like authors should just do better. <laughs> uh, no, that's like that's why I get so excited by recommendations of books like from people that are in our Discord because mm-hmm. it's like that's like the one time where they're like, "This reminds me of Animorphs," and I'm like, "That's the most glowing recommendation you can give a book." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. And like sometimes I'm just not in the mood for books that end up where everyone's miserable and like broken and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just demoralized or whatever. Like sometimes I'm just not in the mood for that. But like I think I would rather have that than like a book where everything's happy. Like like the yeah. ones that stick with me the longest are the ones where it's like this more closely mirrors real life. At least like at this point in my life, there are going to be times where I'm like there's something happening in the world. I don't necessarily want to read a book about that because like this thing is happening in the real world and I just like I don't want that right now. But like I'm finding myself more and more being drawn to kind of like darker shit cuz yeah. I want it to make me like feel I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I think it does and I think especially in the case of like Animorphs, because we haven't finished Frontlines yet, although I feel like I might know how it breaks. I don't know. (laughs) I better not get too cocky here before Jeff and Dan come in and get at me in the comments, but (laughs) I feel like I might know how World War II ended. Anyways, not the point. Um, Yeah, I feel like the, the magic sauce with Animorphs in that instance is that they still win, and like so it's almost like especially like comparing it to like the real world like I wish it could just be something like that that I could directly impact and I could directly help with like xyz or whatever's going on it's like they win 
But then it's just the hard truth of like you win, but like it's not good. It's yeah. not all great. Like yeah. shit doesn't get fixed instantly. And like I feel like that was always the lie that I was told. Yeah. And so I appreciate not being lied to. Yeah. This book hurts me. Yeah, this book is hurtful. <laughs> this book is hurtful. I feel personally victimized by I feel personally victimized by Michael Grant. That's the t-shirt that I will be making. And I can't put it down either. Like once I start reading, like I I literally the other like when I started reading it the other night, I was like, okay, I'll read like half it tonight, half it tomorrow night. I'll be good for recording. And then I was just like, one you more chapter. Yep. One more chapter. Yep. I did I stopped myself. I thought I was like, I'm stopping myself here. Uh-huh. I'll do it right here. It was one chapter away from where we were stopping. Oh no. <laughs> so the next morning I pick it up and I was like, oh, that was a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. I was trying to figure out when we're next recording this podcast. Shit. Because I'm like, oh, shit, are we going to, like, finish this book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. August 15th. Yeah. Okay. We're going to finish this book. Like, soon. Like, in a couple weeks. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to do about it. Shall I do the thing? Do the thing. Okay, for people following along, we're starting at part four, the Battle of the Bulge. We're stopping at part five, the camps. Uh, I mean, these beautiful page sounds in here. Editing Casey is cursing me right now. Oh no, we're gonna start with letters sent. Hooray! Oh, oh no. This is so upsetting. It's so upsetting. All right. Letters sent. Here we go. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Pang, my name is Luther Gear. I was with your son when he died. I have to tell you something about him and me. I didn't like Pang at first, but we were together in Italy and now France and Germany. And what happened is that over a long time of being in this squad together, I got so I liked him. He was a good soldier. He was brave as hell any G.I. I have met. I hope you were very proud of him because you should be. Maybe after the war I could come and see you and tell you more. I'm not one for letter writing so much as talking. Anyway, I called him Jappo and he called me Hillbilly. Maybe you wouldn't guess it from that, but Peng was my friend. And I am sorry as I can be that he is gone. Sincerely, Corporal Luther Gear. <sighs> yep. I'm upset. I'm upset. On so many levels. Didn't want to like you, Gear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the direction this is taken. I don't I don't like this relationship that you the way you have taken us. It's not what I wanted. Oh no. And I, I enjoyed his letter because I feel like he's a big idiot and he didn't write like yeah. like it was very like I don't know. It just the, reflected. The tone was correct. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Fuck. All right, next one. Oh no. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Emotions. Oh no. Oh no. Dear Mister and Missus Sticklin, I hope you don't mind me writing, despite us not knowing each other. But I knew your son Dane well. We were together all the way from basic training, right from the start. Stick—that's what everybody called him—stood out. Before any of us in that group were even close to being real soldiers, Stick already was. He worked hard at it, and he was very good at his job. 
I guess I can't even begin to count how many long conversations I had with Stick in camps and foxholes and boats and trucks. I admired and envied how much he knew about history and different places and why the world is like it is. Dane Stickland was everything you could ever want in a friend or a sergeant. Like, if, if I ever felt like I had a big brother, it was Stick. Losing him was like a knife in my heart. But I know your pain and sorrow must be deeper and more terrible still. I've taken over Stick's platoon now, but I feel it in my heart that at any time I don't know how to handle something. I can just ask myself what he would have done and get the right answer. I guess you don't need me to tell you, but you raised a very fine young man. We all miss him terribly. Sergeant Rio Ricklin. Oh! Hate it. Yep. Hate I, it. I am glad that, like, they're kind of getting closure through these letters, though. Instead of just being like, oh, this person died. We don't care about them anymore. Right. Right. It is nice that they have kind of a send-off or... Yeah. Yeah. Like a closing that oh fuck <laughs> I just keep seeing the next letter and going like oh no these are all sad they are all terrible like there's not there's not a letter where it's like yay we did it <laughs> hooray the war is going well it's not it's, it's not. fucking not people it's, it's a bad thing it's a bad it's time a, it's a bad time it's a bad bad time Dear Pastor Medale, I am writing I'm writing to you because I guess I need to say something that I can't say to anyone here. There is so much pain here and so much death. None of it is like folks back home think. None of it is like what they see in movies. We are cold all the time, filthy and wet all the time, hungry too. I look around me and I don't even see human beings anymore. I see walking sacks of blood and organs waiting to be ripped open, to have all that is inside them shown to the world. They are so brave and so determined, and it doesn't matter because they just die. Especially the replacements, who so often die within a few hours of getting to the front. The veterans don't even learn their names because when a replacement dies, you don't want to know that they have kids or a widowed mother or hopes or dreams or hobbies. I keep telling myself I am doing a lot of good. I know that I have saved some people who want, who would be dead otherwise. But even then it can be so hard. I send soldiers to the aid station minus a leg or an arm or scarred for life. Some GIs shoot themselves in the foot just to avoid something far worse. But it's not even just the blood. That's what I see happening to the men and women here. They grow cynical, harsh, indifferent. Some have it worse still and lose their minds altogether. Grown men and women just rocking back and forth and sobbing. It's seeping into me too, I know it. How many times can you see a human being die and feel his heart stop without losing your own mind? And I ask myself why. Sometimes I blaspheme, Pastor, because I do not know how God lets this happen. How does God let this happen? These GIs live like pigs in their own filth and spill their intestines into mud. How does God let fine young boys and girls be slaughtered, butchered, blown apart, burned to charcoal? Can you tell me that? Because I would really, really like to know that. Sorry if I sound crazy. Maybe I am. I had a man who worked with me. We called him Deacon, who was a conscientious objector. He was a good and brave man, a believer in the grace of Jesus Christ. And he just shot himself in the head because he couldn't go on. I didn't see it coming. I didn't realize how it was for him. I should probably tear up this letter. You'll think I've gone round the bend. But if, but I am going to send it if only to remind you to pray for me. Please, pray hard. Frangie. Oh, Deacon! Yeah, Deacon. <laughs> Shit. Like, he was just telling that one GI not to shoot himself in the foot. Yeah. 
that was that took me <laughs> I was shocked yeah because like when she you know when she was started using the language of like oh yeah there was this guy Deacon I was like wait a minute did he get shot like did he die in the, right. in the battle and it's like oh no oh no yeah no nope that would oh, god yep. yeah god yeah that was brutal and it was a brutal way to find out too yeah <sighs> and frangie questioning everything which is i think <laughs> i think early on we said like we were interested to see like what it takes to get frangie to that point and like mm-hmm. when she's gonna like kind of break and how she's gonna navigate that and like i think at this point it's kind of like oh well she still has that core belief and she still has those convictions she's just starting to question yeah how a god could let this happen yeah and then what happens in the next few chapters that we read like i feel like i want a letter from that point because that oh, is a yeah. completely different Frangie than this one. Like, yeah. Frangie has the worst time of it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's got, like, you know, again, in part three when they were looking around the church and she was kind of like, oh, like, this isn't great. Like, how does God let this happen? I'm, I really wonder. And, you know, like you said, and then now mm-hmm. she's at this point. And then, yeah, in a little bit, she's like, like, just goes downhill so quickly. Yeah. And it's like in it's a totally different tone. Like in the church, she's like, I wonder what God's plan is. I wonder why God's mm-hmm. letting this happen. And now she's like, What the fuck, God? Like <laughs> now she's like actually getting like really genuinely like upset. Like, what yeah. the fuck? And like, I mean, if you're at the point where all you're doing is staring at a human and thinking, like, you're a giant blood sack that I'm just gonna have to stitch back together, yeah. like that's that's a point. That's that's a low. Yep. That's not great. It's not good. Oh, man. I mean, I'm glad you're still willing to stitch them back together, but that's not good. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. <sighs> Shit. Oh, I hate it. Because, like, Frangie's, like, like, the beacon of hope in the group, and now even she's like, yeah, there is no God. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> We're like... What kind of fucking cruel and sufferable god would let this happen? Like, yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm so compelled by her story. Like, oh my god. Me too. Like, the longer. Okay. See, this is the thing. I was gonna say the longer I go on, the more I find her to be like the most compelling character. But that's not necessarily true because they're all so very different, and their journeys are so very different Mm -hmm. that like. I take away completely different stories from each one of them. So mm-hmm. I don't even think I have like a favorite or like the one who I'm yeah. most excited to visit anymore. Yeah, for sure. Which I I have called that out before in Animorphs, like apart from X being my very, very favorite. Well, yeah, like, all the rest of them are all pretty equal. And it's like, okay, they all have so such different viewpoints and such different like things to bring to the table. And like, I think right. that's the mark of a really good writer is that like, you make all of your characters, you know, about equal compelling right. with like maybe one or two standouts and Hex and Rachel. I, okay. <laughs> you can't give, you could give any character, I'm going to be a juvenile delinquent and ruin the symmetry of your shelves and like immediate favorite character. Like it doesn't matter how well all the other characters are written. 
immediate favorite. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not fair. Oh, no. <laughs> I was so delighted when I got that book and I opened the cover. <laughs> you saw all the shit on the ground from the shelf. Yeah. Oh. And the little German Shepherd. The little dog who is not little at all pepper. to scale. Nope, but not even fun. a little bit. They never are. They never, never are to scale. The scale is always very wonky. It's fine. Yep. It's all fine. I bet David Mattingly had like two seconds to whip out a cover. They were like, well, hey, David, we need yeah. it tomorrow. Can you like figure it out? Like, not only that, like having to find the animals to like hyperimpose in there. Like, yeah. That's yeah. The man did a great job. Yeah, and I I will not disparage his work in any way. No, I was surprised at how much of his work is photography, though. Like I opened the mosquito book, and it was like that is a photo of a man's hand. Like yeah, okay. But this is so exciting for me because I haven't seen a lot of the. I mean, I've seen the covers like online, but I haven't like had right. the full experience of like opening the second cover and like flipping the book and watching the morphs. Yeah, yeah. it's so fun. I love having real books. Oh, me too. I love it so much. Like that, I'm so glad that that was something that I did as we were reading the series mm-hmm. was collect the books physically for each oh, one. I should have done that. It would have been slightly cheaper a few years ago. <laughs> yes, could have gotten the duck book for. $30 instead of $60. Before maybe. we did this this podcast, like before mm-hmm. we recorded episode one and it was just an idea in our minds, yeah. I looked up the entire series. It was on Amazon for $150 wow. for the entire series. And I said to Scott, I'm going to buy it. And he was like, no, like why are you wasting your money on this? He didn't realize how good of an investment that would have been at the time because oh. now I have bought every single book and probably spent four to five times that over the two years we were reading it. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my god. Complete series. All the books. Alternomorphs, all the Megamorphs, all the Chronicles. $150. Yeah. That's right. Holy shit. Right? Oh my god. Yeah. I'm sorry. We've we've strayed. <laughs> we have strayed from the front lines. It is okay. Look, this I, is I, a very Animorphs heavy episode. You know what? I I'm not opposed. I love it is it. Animorphs Anonymous. So yeah. Like, How dare we talk about Animorphs on this Animorphs podcast? Right. How dare we? Uh. All right. One more letter. Oh yeah. From okay. All right. All right. This one's not the worst. You give me a look. (laughs) It's not the worst. It is wild. (laughs) It is wild. Okay. Okay, I'll talk about it. Dear Rainy, what is this I hear about you becoming an officer? You've gone over to the enemy. My baby sis, a lousy brass hat. My God, before I know it, you'll be a general. Okay, more seriously, congratulations. I mean it. Three exclamation points. I could have exploded with pride when I heard about you. I I would never want to compare myself to you, but I have to tell you that I too, yes, your goofy brother, am now a platoon sergeant, and I am busy all day long spitting nails and chewing on barbed wire as marine platoon leaders are supposed to do. I'm extremely safe sitting here on this godforsaken piece of coral with about three lousy palm trees. I of course can't name the island without bringing on the censors, but it doesn't matter because they're all the same. Nothing to do but knock coconuts out of trees and play cards with the guys. 
I still don't know exactly what you were doing, although I hear from folks that you disappeared for a while. But whatever it is, take good care of yourself. You and I have a lot to talk about when this is over. I picture dragging the lawn chairs up onto the roof, having a beer or maybe six, and shooting the breeze. Wouldn't that be swell? So be careful and cautious and take care of yourself, little sister. I mean, little sister, sir, Arye. I'm saluting right now. Oh no. That means nothing good's gonna happen. He's oh. gonna die for sure. Like, oh, there's no, no way he lives now, oh, man. Oh, you're right. Oh, oh no. He's done dead. Oh no. He's just sitting around having a nice war on his little piece of paper. Little island with his coconuts. Oh <sighs> no, I hope he doesn't die. He's gonna, and then we're gonna get a scene of Rainy sitting on the rooftop drinking beers in the lawn chair alone. I hate that. I'm sorry. I don't want that. Your face oh. changed so quickly. <laughs> it fell to the floor. It did. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Shit. Well, that's terrible. It's all bad. Boy. He's yeah. a sweet boy. Knocked up a girl. Now he has a baby. I think they're married. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's gonna die. He's gonna die. Fuck. Don't matter. Oh no. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh this is, shit. This is. I just had the weirdest memory bubble come up at this. Okay. I once read a fan fiction. I think of Glee that was set in the World War II era. This is not important because I don't remember anything that went on here except for one of the characters got drafted and one didn't. And there was just a scene at the end of like waiting for them to come back. And then the last scene of this fan fiction was them reading the letter saying that that person had passed away. Well, like it was a music fit to like to uh, sitting on a dock on a bay well they read the letter on the dock where they said goodbye about how the, the other character had died holy shit yeah that was the weirdest fucking that's wild that is wild this a is glee like, I feel like it was a glee fanfish I could be wrong it was probably glee world war 2 AU what? Yeah, it's probably at least a decade ago. It was probably more than a decade ago. It was easily more than a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. What? Did the girls get to go fight in World War Two? No. Oh. Not not. In, I mean, maybe not in the vignettes I saw or read. Damn. Oh no. Wild. What a weird memory to like. That's crazy. Sorry, I think it was the lawn chair thing that like got yeah, me thinking. Yeah, no. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, no. Well, shit. Well, shit. That was weird. That happened. Yes. Should I play a sad trombone? Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. What? I didn't mean to hit it again. Okay, I think I stopped it. Oh, I didn't hear it again. Okay, good. Thank God. (laughs) Holy shit. I love your soundboard. That's so exciting. (laughs)
That's just stupid news. <laughs> I'm sorry I did that. It's great. I can't hear it, so I don't know what it sounds like. I'm very excited to hear these later. That's not a sad trombone. <laughs> That's what I immediately thought it was going to be, and then it well, was. Well, shit. What yeah. What do you think a sad trombone is? Like, yeah, that's what I thought it would be. Gotcha. Did I, I? I sent you the Jurassic Park chair thing, right? Yes. Okay. Good. Just want to make sure. I think he was playing a trump. No, he's playing a trumpet. It, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, trumpet. <laughs> the trumpets. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Shit. All right. Shall I do the? That's, thing yeah yeah do the thing okay we're gonna go to rainy first uh rainy is a shiny new first lieutenant and she finds herself in the midst of a battlefield she's surrounded by fighting holes trash ammo and very tired gis and she approaches a sad looking tent and she sees the captain guess who it is it's our old friend mackie oh my god mackie's a captain mackie's captain do, 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 do. i don't know why my reaction was to raise the roof for that but i stand by it I mean, go mackie it's go birthday. Birthday. <laughs> oh my god it's so exciting and it's uh, like oh my god finally a competent fucking person around here oh fucking finally fucking finally Ugh. And I feel like all the captains we've seen so far have been men. So that's also like, go Mackie, it's your birthday. Yep. Um, so yeah, Mackie's there and Rainey's like, hey, everything's kind of fucked up. I don't know how I ended up here, but they want me here to assess the situation. And Mackie doesn't really have any use for an intelligence officer, but they sit down to talk anyway. And Rainey kind of tells her everything that she knows, that there's a German panzer division that they're fighting. The intelligence thinks that the Germans are sending out little diversions like this to keep the Allies occupied while they prepare for a bigger attack. And as they're kind of talking shop, a very smelly young woman bursts into the tent, and it's Rio! The reunited never felt so good. I I just say it, I love this scene so much. Just do it, just do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it, do it. Okay, so Rio stops dead at the sight of Mackie, and she's staring at disbelief, and Mackie greets her warmly. Rio is already, like, super embarrassed because she smells and her uniform's filthy, and Mackie's like, hey, don't worry, it's not an inspection, it's good to see you. Um, and Rio is reporting with her squad from where Lieutenant Horn sent them up, and Mackie points her in the direction of a Lieutenant Dubrowski. She dismisses Rio and adds, by the way, it's Diane. And Rainy swears she can see tears start to form in Rio's eyes before she leaves. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Like, I fucking love this. I did, too. It's just like picking up where they left off. Because the last thing we heard from Mackie was, I have a first name. It's Sergeant. Like, <sighs> like do you think that after Rio left, Mackie was like, maybe I should have told her my name. Like, maybe I, like, do you think she thought no. about? No. I feel, see, I think she never thought, oh, I should have told her my name when she left. I think it was absolutely, like, they meet at this completely different point in their lives where, like, I'm sure that, that Mackie knew about, like, some of the shit Rio had, like, her name is mm -hmm. pretty well known for the stuff she's done. Yeah. And, like, I have to imagine that, like, she tracks the people that she cares about from yeah. boot camp and like and knowing and if people become you know like Rio 
she had to have known and been proud of her and being like, okay, now you've earned to know what it is. Like, I'm not sergeant to you anymore. We're past that. We are soldiers together now, like on equal playing field. I have to imagine that's what it was. I love that. I love it so much. Oh. Oh. I'm. Oh, I love that. I love it so fucking much. And I love that she like, she's like, ah, oh, I I hope that she like knew that she was going there and was like hoping to run into Rio to be like, I just hope I can tell her like that. Ah, oh, ah, oh, I love them. I love, I love them. Too. And I'm so and I'm so glad we got to see Mackie again because like I feel like so many characters have come in and they're just like a face and we never mm-hmm. see them again and we never hear about them again. Yep. Yep. So I'm so glad we saw Mackie again. Oh, and I wonder like, if we'll see Cole again. Oh, I hope so. I mean they mentioned him in uh-huh. these. But yeah. like, yeah, I hope we see him again. I like, I'm so glad, especially with how formative Mackie was. Mm-hmm. I am so glad we got to see her again. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, that was delightful. I enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Okay, so Rio leaves the tent, and Mackie tells Rainy that she'll see about getting her some prisoners of war to interrogate. And afterwards, Rio and Rainy meet outside the tent, and they're kind of like, "Hey, what's up? Like, oh, you're you're a sergeant now, or you're a lieutenant now, blah blah blah." Um, just kind of shooting the shit. And don't they like hold each other too, like like at arm's length? <laughs> yeah, like arms always... on shoulders, arms. Yeah, <laughs> it's very like Aragorn and Legolas. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at you. Let let stand back and let me look at you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they just say hi to each other, and then Ryu is like, I'm gonna go back to my squad now, and Brainy's like, if you find any German prisoners, send them my way, and then Ryu fucks off, and Rainy wonders if she just talked Ryu into her own death, which, like, I don't know, how did you feel about that? (laughs) I read it more as, like, she was wondering, like, did I talk her into her own death, like, anyone would who like there was an out and did i did i just become responsible for this person i don't know like i read it in a more not this specific scenario but a more like how many people am i going to send to their death how many like okay. kind of understanding like their responsibility in the greater picture from whatever actions they had taken okay um that being said i don't think anybody could have stopped rio Right. Cuz I was I was a little confused by that cuz I thought it was going to like pay off later, but mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to be like Rio like goes or has a situation where she like chases down a German soldier and she's like I got to get this for Rainy and it goes horribly wrong. I thought it was going to be something like that. It was like foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But then it wasn't and and I'm sitting here like Rainy knows it's Rio, right? Like she's very capable and everything, but yeah, I feel like it was definitely more referencing like when Rio was in England and was like, "How am I supposed to be in charge of people? How am I supposed to do this?" Sure, and just kind of this like, "Oh shit, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, I don't think there was any stopping her. Quite honestly, she's cannot be stopped. 
She cannot be stopped. She will not be stopped. Can't stop, won't stop. Stop the beat, won't stop, won't stop, won't stop the beat. And now, Oh, no. Are you ready for real bad shit? Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah, now I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah, needed a second. Well, all right. So, Frankie. Frankie? <laughs> Who the fuck is Frankie? Frankie um, and Grace. Grace Fra- and Frankie. Frank and Gracie. Turns <laughs> out <laughs> we're making a quick switch on what we're talking about. Welcome to the show about popular TV show, Grace and Frankie. Yay. They have a sex toy yeah. uh, company. They do? Sex toy company. The name I forgot because it's been quite a while since I've seen an episode of it. Yeah, same. I just liked the uh, the daughter. um the angry one the yeah the sassy like blonde one yeah 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 that took her over the company yeah she's the best she is the fucking best i love her so much <laughs> we really did kind of turn into a grace and frankie podcast there for a second well you know animars grace and frankie <laughs> it's all fine oh okay not frankie not grace uh, Frangie and Manning are fast asleep in their Jeep. They are stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic at a crossroads in Malady, Belgium. Um, suddenly, they are rocked awake by horrific explosions, and Frangie looks up, and she sees vehicles, like, blowing up around her. Like, there's just fucking shit flying. Um, and then just so many German tanks emerge from the tree line with their guns leveled. And their company only has one Sherman tank, and it quickly lowers its gun in submission, and she's like, oh god, we're surrendering. Um, and the, sure enough, the artillery captain you know, walks up to the German commander, waving a white flag, and they talk for a little bit, and Frangie sees that they were actually stopped by an SS division, and she knows this is bad news bears. Um, the SS lieutenant barks at them that they are now prisoners, and they will obey orders or they will be shot. Everybody is ordered to stack up their weapons and line up, and Frangie notices that she and Manning are the only black people there. The SS lieutenant approaches them and comments that they smell no different, and Frangie starts to retort, but he smacks her across the face. Manning starts to yell at them, but they immediately fire two shots into her chest, and she's dead before she hits the ground. And Frangie's, like, fucking horrified at this point. Some of the other soldiers look like they're going to start moving and do something, but the Germans have their guns trained on them and they stop. Um, one of the soldiers hit Frangie across the head with his pistol and she's knocked out unconscious. Um, when she wakes up, she realizes she's being dragged along on the ground by a white American soldier and she instinctively starts to pull away. But he's very nice to her and she's like, he's like, hey, you know, make sure you can walk first. And after a few minutes, she's able to walk. And she sees they're being marched through the snow by the SS. And this guy just, like, starts talking to her. He's super chatty and cheerful. His name is Frank Pepper. This is, like, his first day on the war. He just got there and he's already a prisoner. And he says, like, I'm from Tennessee. I'm a white boy from the South. And she's, like, really surprised that he's treating her with any kind of respect. Because she is not used to that. You're, you're like, dying over there. What's going on? I fucking love this man so much, okay? He was just so fucking nice. He just... I feel so bad for him. Like, it's... It's... I'm dying because I... He's... 
so nice. And like, <laughs> like this dude is like the future of what it should be. And like yeah. he he just got there. He didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And he was sent to like the worst part. And like, listen, every time a greenhorn shows up, I hate it. And it's not yeah. fair. Yeah. But he he reminded me of the guy from Minnesota who is also a musician. Yeah. I'm like, what's with all these fucking musicians in this they war? Don't, they don't send musicians to war. They no. don't belong there. They don't belong there. They're just gonna play the violins while the Titanic sinks. Mm -hmm. Like, <sighs> it's it's just because like this for me was Frangie's most difficult scene in the book coming up, and yeah. I'm so upset already. And then every time this guy was nice to her and like, I'll just let you keep going. We can talk about it after. Okay. But just know I'm gesticulating wildly. Audio listeners, I'm gesticulating <laughs> wildly because I'm upset about this. She put her hood up and like pulled the strings. And I was did. Like, and pulled them all over my face and like got. <sighs> yeah. Yep. All right. So this guy is basically a beacon of light in this terrible world. He's just so fucking nice to her she's very surprised by this she's not used to being like treated this friendly by a white person um and he's chatting about how he's a musician who plays jazz with the black musicians back home and frangie's kind of like nodding along but in the back of her mind all she can think about is that manning is dead deacon is dead like my my friends my people are dead um and so the ss is leading them all into a field and then they stop and they tell them to wait and Pepper's like, oh, you know, they're probably just waiting to bring us trucks so they can take us to the POW camp. Like, you know, we're going to Germany and that's fine because my feet hurt and blah, blah, blah. And Frangie knows that something is wrong. She can feel that something is very wrong and she knows the SS are going to kill them. Um, and a German staff car and a covered truck start driving in and Frangie just starts in on the Lord's Prayer. And Pepper is like looking at her like, what are you doing? Like... Why are you saying, wait, they're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna do. And he just kind of trails off. Frangie watches the SS soldiers in the back of the covered truck lift up the canvas. They're crouched over a machine gun and they just start open firing on all these soldiers. Um, people are screaming and falling and trying to run. And Pepper turns to her and he just gives her a terrified look before he succumbs to a bullet wound. And her medic training, she immediately just drops to help him. Um, and after the machine gun falls silent, she can still hear the cries and the screams of soldiers that are crawling through the snow. And the SS officers are laughing as they just walk through the crowd and pick people off with their pistols. Um, she whispers to Pepper to play dead. He's still alive, but barely. And she like, makes herself very still as boots approach her. She feels Pepper's body jerk under her as they shoot him, and they blow off the face of another woman who's nearby. Frangie does not move an inch. And finally, the boots move away, and she is left unscathed. Um, and she just lies still for as long as she can, what feels like an eternity after the Germans are long gone. And then she pushes her way out from the corpses around her. She vomits onto the ground, and she sobs for a few minutes, just sobbing freely like a child um she crawls towards the trees over a small hill and only after she rolls down it does she start to run 
So that's that fucking chapter, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I just, I can't, like, what throws me so much about this chapter is that, like, the two things. One is the idea that Frangi is covered in blood and guts again, which is not new for her. But the circumstances here were that she couldn't save anybody and had to use corpses to hide herself. Yep. So that's fucked. (laughs) Yep. And then the other part of that was the way that, like, Frangi, like, she knew what was happening long before it started to happen, but... She has this thought of, like, I can't tell Pepper what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's new here. But she starts praying. And, like, the way, like, you, you recapped it perfectly. Like, the way it's interspersed with, like, the one line of prayer of, like, no, wait, what's going on? What are you doing? The second line yeah. of prayer, like, no, they wouldn't do this. Like, yeah. oh, it's so beautifully written. Yeah. And I fucking hate it. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm like, oh, this whole, this whole chapter. Yeah. This whole chapter. Yeah. And like, I, I googled Malmedy, and the first result was the Malmedy massacre. So this really mm-hmm. happened, which I'm sure people who know anything about World War II knew that already. I did not know that, but like. Yeah. Like, holy shit. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah. It's it's so fucked. Yep. <laughs> like, it's just horrible. I, yep. I mean, I know that that's, like, insufficient to say in a book where so many other atrocities have been committed, but... Yeah. There was just something about the way that it broke... Frangi that you could tell like you could tell from the writing right away yeah like we don't get the full scope but you could definitely tell that she is completely changed like yep. right off the bat yep yeah and my recap did not do it justice like y'all should read the book if you want the full emotional turmoil experience that's what we always say we're always like read the fucking book man yeah I mean it's true oh boy um so yeah that happened and now we're gonna go back to Rio. Um, and she gets sent to Lieutenant Dabrowski. And this guy, she immediately is like, okay, this guy's cool. He knows what he's doing. He's a, There's a sense of humor about him. And he has clearly been in the deep shit with the rest of his guys. And his eyes are sunken in, so he hasn't slept. He's nothing like Lieutenant Horn. This guy is, like, for real. Um, so he sketches their position. Um... And he describes it as basically the town they're in, which is Clairvaux, I think is what he called. Um, It's basically the town's at the bottom of the bowl. There's Americans on the lip of the bowl. The Germans are outside of the bowl trying to get to the lip to drop artillery on everyone below so that they can take the road and get their tanks into the town. And he wants Rio to go harass some of the panzers on the forest track so they can't get into town. And he wants to like slow the invasion, basically. Um, he lends them a PFC named Mazer, who is really good with a bazooka, and as it turns out, has already killed two tanks and crippled another. And I he's love, missing a finger. 
how they're just like, we want you to fight tanks. And Rio's like, well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I liked it because like Rio's like, um, I've never like we've never done that before. Like yep. we've never killed a tank before. But he like instead of being like, well, too fucking bad, he actually like gives her what she needs, which is a guy who has right. experience with that. I'll give you my best tank men. Right. Like the comparison between him and Horn is just like astonishing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it is glaringly different. <laughs> Which, like, thank God, because the last part where Horn just kind of dropped them in the middle of the shit and was like, okay, I'm going to be going safe at the castle, bye. Like, but she actually gets there and there's actually, like, you know, competent people around. Is, yeah, I, changes just, the game. Yeah, and, like, the situation's still very dire, but, like, <laughs> yeah. at least there are fucking competent people around. So Right? Thank God. Ugh. Yep. Give you my bazooka man. He's a bazooka man. He comes from bazooka land. He's gonna bazooka your tanks. That's my my theme music for this man. I love it. Thanks. This man will be so happy to have a theme. Yay! I made it myself. Yeah, we're gonna have to watch out when the TV show comes out though that they didn't rip that off. And if they have, we are gonna sue uh, the fucking pants off of them. I will sue them. I'll sue the shit out of you. I am extremely litigious. <laughs> I sued a bunch of birds. I can sue you too. That's right. I've sued so many birds. <laughs> Name a my bird. I've sued a vandalism on my mailbox. Oh God. So yeah, Rio wants to refuse this guy because she's fucking tired and she smells and everything's terrible. But she also knows that this is coming from Mackie and she does not want to disappoint Mackie. So she takes this Mazer guy, and she also brings Jack, Janot, Melina, somebody named Jeffords, and Private Sweetheart, specifically so he could be the pack mule, which I fucking love. Yep. Yep. Keep shitting on that guy, because I fucking hate him. <laughs> he's the worst. I mean, he's not as bad as Strand Braxton, but... No one is. No, no one is. In all the war. In all the land. Oh, my God. Strand motherfucking Braxton. There's nothing more satisfying than getting messages from people talking about how much they hate Strand Braxton. <laughs> it's great. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite thing. It's my Join favorite pastime. It's my favorite pastime shitting on Strand Braxton. Yep. Because he's the worst. He is the fucking worst by far. A he's not even he in this section. He's not even in this section, but the hate for him is so <laughs> strong. He's mentioned. They bring up his name. Yeah, and a couple of times, actually, now that I'm yeah. thinking about it. But we don't like him. No. Well, now we're going to have a, a sad conversation with Jeannot. Um So as they're walking to wherever the fuck they're going, Rio and Jeannot start talking. And Jeannot reflects that she thinks the version of herself from Jedwell Falls is completely dead and this whole time, she didn't like how Rio was changing, but she focused on that because it took her mind off of how she herself was changing in a way that she was not excited about. And I'm like, oh, no. Shit. Oh, God. Jeannot. Oh, Jeannot. That wasn't how to deal with this situation. 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 I don't know what word I was aiming for that first time, but I was not getting there. It's all good. It's all good. We got there in the end. 
We're doing our best here at Animorphs Anonymous. Here we are, trying so hard. Trying for you. Oh, God. Um, da, da, da. They talk about Jeannot's parents, and Jeannot is... She's honestly just relieved that she doesn't have to go back to them. And she thinks that when she gets back to the States, she might try for, like, an English and writing degree at a college. And she's like, nah, you probably think that sounds stupid. And Rio's like, that sounds wonderful. You will do great. <laughs> the friendship. Uh. And I like how Rio wasn't like, oh, don't kid yourself. We're not going to make it out of here. She was just like, that sounds great, dude. Proud of you. Uh, and then Jeannot tries to ask Rio what she's doing after the war if she's going to marry Strand motherfucking Braxton. And Rio hastily makes her way up to the front of her line, not answering that question. Rightfully so. She shouldn't fucking have to. Right. That being said, if I was in her position, I'd be like, we're fucking done. That fucking coward, loser, idiot. We're fucking done. He's dead to me. He's dead to me. He's dead to you. I stabbed him in a cafe in Paris. <laughs> Thank you. This has been my dissertation. <laughs> I stabbed him in the heart emotionally. Emotionally, but also physically. With my knife that I have. With my knife. I call it knifey. <laughs> Suddenly, she's Sokka from Avatar. <laughs> the crossover we don't want and don't need. Have we done the thing yet where, <laughs> where Jano is the mom being like, what do you have? And Rio says, a knife. And Jano goes, no. No, we, we haven't. <laughs> Rio, what do you have? A knife! No! Oh my god. Can oh, no. I can I just get that three paint? Kate, listen, I know we haven't ever done merch before, but Tim really wants shirts, and it's really making me think about the type of shirts that we should do. And I think just three panels of that yeah. would be perfect. Oh my god, I have to. You've got to. I have to have it. I gotta do it. I need the shirt. I can see it right now printed horizontally on a shirt, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I need it. Oh, my I God. I like, no one will understand except for us. Like, no one. I don't even think Michael Grant would understand it. I but. feel like if we... Well, maybe without the context of Vine, no. But I feel like we still should send him a shirt. Oh, I also want to see if there's Frontline's fan art after this. After oh, yeah. That's a great point. It should be. Alex! Yeah. There's like two frontline short stories. What? What? I'm pretty what? sure there's like two little short stories or novellas Stop or something. The I, podcast. Stop the podcast. Googling uh, stuff with Casey and Alex. Yeah. Short stories. I'm pretty fucking sure. When I go to Michael Grant's fucking website, Michael. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, Charles. Mike Hull. Gah. The spellings that I have done today while Googling this, I don't want to admit to you because they are out of control. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not the only one. What is this baby Michael Grant? Look at his little baby face. What the fuck is this shit? I'll agree to these cookies just for you, Michael Grant. No, no one else. I have to remove $100 worth of balls from my cart. 
Michael Frontline Jeannot's story. What now? Oh, There's wait, another wait, wait. one? Wait, it's just on his website. Hang on. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. I still want it, though. Okay. So there is, like, additional... Alright. Um, where did we net out with all of this? I've bought two new books, so things Sweet. are looking up for me. I will do that after we do this. Yeah, one might say, hey, why don't you fucking finish recording the podcasters? <laughs> no. 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 Absolutely you not. Don't have enough badges to control me? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Where the fuck were we? Where the hell is my chiffon? <laughs> Oh no. Uh, oh yeah, we were talking about Strabber Action, how much he sucks. Um, sucks. He fucking sucks. Rio's leading everyone into the snow, into the unknown. Um, was that a frozen joke? Sure was. Oh no. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, they get to where the Germans are supposed to be, and they go into stealth mode. They are slowly progressing as the temperature drops around them. Eventually, they reach a stream with a high ravine. Rio leads them down it. And eventually, they get to a bridge, and they spot a... I'm gonna fuck this up. A, a Jagdpanzer? Jagdpanzer? Listen, all I know is that you were fucking rapping a second ago, and then you just interrupted your rap flow to talk about a panzer name. To... to Badly pronounce a big tank thing. German it's a tank big thing. German tank. A Jagdpanzer. It's probably something like that. That sounds probably. vaguely Germanish. Jagdpanzer. Jagdpanzer. I don't know. It's a it's a big tank killer tank thing. It's big. Kills. Um, they come up with a cockamamie scheme to get Mazer, Rio, and Jack on the other side of the bridge so they can shoot the tank with the bazooka. And Jeannot are going to lead the four others to cover with gunfire on the other side. Rio grabs some bazooka rounds and leads Jack and Mazer towards the bridge. As they get close, they see a German soldier who is taking a shit under the bridge while reading a letter. And uh, she hands her gun to Jack and takes her knife off her hip. She sneaks up behind the guy and just, like, cuts him across the throat. He's dead while taking a shit. So that happened. Um, they sneak into a ditch on the other side of the road in clear shot of the tanks. And they're going to shoot the tank killer first, the regular tank second. They're going to fire off a third round if they can, and then get the fuck out of there. They load up the bazooka, and they fire. The first hits squarely on the side armor and makes a small explosion. The second hit bounces off the tank and into the trees, but the third hits the tank right in the bogey wheels, and the tread comes off. The three of them run like hell. They are briefly intercepted by a couple of Germans that Rio takes out with her Thompson. And Jeannot and her band discourage the rest of the Germans from following. Uh, Rio manages to get everyone back together and get them back up the hill back to base. Once they are safe, they collapse on the ground and Rio starts laughing maniacally. Jeannot is like, what the hell is she laughing about? And Jack says that their sergeant found a new hobby, killing tanks. I want to think in the fanfiction of my mind that I'm writing this in, that yeah. Jack says all of that. With, like, just a beautiful, wistful, like, look at how beautiful she is. Killing tanks. She has such a nice laugh. She has such a wonderful laugh. I love it when she destroys massive German artillery like that. But he does. So endearing. But he does, though. Like, I think he's the reasonable amount of upset when she has to kill the shitting German. 
it was i feel like it wasn't even like an upset like oh no she has to do this it was like oh come on you're not gonna sneak up on it like you're not gonna put yourself at risk again like take your gun what are you doing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh back to the knife thing again what if he turns on you like i feel like it was a rightful upset yeah for sure but like he's so on board with everything that she has to do because he gets it He's not Strand Braxton, who doesn't he's fucking not, get it. He's not Strand Braxton. He fucking gets it. He fucking gets it. Like, find you a man that understands why sometimes you just gotta slit a Nazi's throat while they're shitting. <laughs> <laughs> Life advice. Dating advice. <laughs> dating advice with Casey and Alex. <laughs> I feel like our track record is terrible, so anybody that's still <laughs> listening to us about dating advice, like... No. It's on them at this point. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it, guys. Oh, no. Oof. (laughs) We've told you so many times why it's a bad idea to listen to us. Yep. You should know better. It's not getting any better. Don't listen to us. All right. Now we're back with Rainy and Frangie. Um, Oh, man. The former is interrogating the latter about the massacre that happened the one that frangie survived it lasts for half an hour and frangie goes from rage to sorrow to depression rainy briefly leaves her to go talk to herkemeyer and he says that after this massacre no german prisoners are going to be safe rainy cannot spare any pity for that but herkemeyer says that this means all of the rules of war especially the rule about treating prisoners with respect are completely out the window now And they basically agree that it's time to do damage control because they will need friendly Germans when this is over. As a political necessity, they are going to frame all of the atrocities on the SS. Rainey is very angry about this because she knows he's right. She grabs a bottle of German schnapps and brings it back to Frangie, and Frangie downs the shot with zero hesitation. She's come so far, she drinks alcohol now. Get over it. Yeah, Um, fuck off. (laughs) She deserves a drink. She does deserve a drink. Are you kidding me? She deserves all the drinks. All the drinks. Oh, no. So Rainy tries to talk to Frangie and say, like, hey, you might experience survivor's guilt over this. And Frangie's like, oh, please. I'm already there. I've already lost so many patients. Like, I'm a medic. I've, I've been doing this for years now. And her throat closes up and she starts to cry and Rainy puts her hand over hers and they just sit there for a little bit while Frangie kind of gets her emotions in check. Um, And finally, Frangie says she should be getting back to her battalion and Rainy has to break it to her that her battalion suffered 70% casualties. Um, And Frangie just kind of like shuts down at that. Like she cannot believe that. Um, and Rainey says that Frangie can either get sent to the rear, she can get shipped overseas back to a hospital, or she can stay here in Bestone, which is in big enough trouble and they're going to need medics no matter what color. Rainey tells her that she's done more than enough, she's had her war, and she's happy to get Frangie back home with her head held high. And then Frangie teaches Rainey about good old American racism! And she fucking... <laughs> has to explain segregation and how she's expected to step off the sidewalk into the gutter when a white person walks by, how her entire life she thought this was normal, this is just how things were, and how she read a story about how a white German prisoner was treated better than a black American veteran. And Rainy, this is the first time she is hearing about all of this. 
like she thinks about how even though Jews are treated as second class citizens, it is not anything like this. Um, and then Frigia kind of doubles down and tells Rainy about the events in Tulsa about her mother and what happened to her. And Rainy's whole world is turned upside down as she takes this in. And she has to reckon with the fact that there are people on American soil that are just as bad as Nazis. And she can't believe that she did not know this. And she's like pacing around angrily. And Frangie's almost amused as she's just like watching her. Um, And Rainy demands why black people fight for them, for their country. And Frangie's like, we fight to keep ourselves alive, to keep our brothers and sisters alive. Rainy sits down and she pours herself a schnapps. And they do a Jewish toast together. And then Rainy says, this can't go on. And Frangie asks, what do you mean? The battle? The war? Or what's going on back at home with black people? And Rainy just replies, yes. A girl's Ah. gonna take care of it. She's gonna fucking solve it all, man. (laughs) Solve all the world's problems. Mm -hmm. If anyone can do it, Rainy can. Hell yeah. My god. Oh shit. Do you think, so this is just a, a small moment in this mass chapter of important moments. But do you think that Rainy realized like, and was amused by when she was telling Frangie, like, I'm giving you the option to get out, to go to the back of the line, to have hot meals, to be safe. Mm-hmm. And had to go mid that to report to Herkemeyer, who tried to do that for her, and then come back to Frangie saying the same shit that she said to Herkemeyer, which is, fuck you, I'm staying. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I just want to know if Frangie realized the irony of that moment. I know. <laughs> God, there's just been so many scenes that have been like parallels of earlier scenes mm. that I just, I love. I love it so much. Oh, God. And the fact that Frangie is still staying in after that. Right? After all of that. And like, like, just like, Rainy being unable to comprehend why she was staying in after that, but then also learning about like how shitty it is mm-hmm. back home for her. She's like, why are you defending this country? This country fucking sucks. Like, yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, that's yeah. wild to me. Yep. Just fucking buck wild. I love that Rainy had to come to terms with that though. Like, yeah. They what? Yeah. They what? Like they what? A fucking what? Yeah. There was also a moment where, um, like, I think it was before Frangie, like, really got into it, where Frangie wanted to be like, like, are you aware of what they're doing to Jewish people in the camps? But she was like, no, this is not the time to say something like that. Oh my god, right? Yeah. Like. Oh my god. Yeah. My god, that's, like, what a, what a emotionally intelligent moment to withhold at that time. <laughs> yep. Okay. We're back at Clarval. I'm sorry, I'm fucking up all these names. Clarval, something like that. With Rio, it's the town. The town has been lost. Um, they're in the castle. Most of, There's lots of dead shit around them. It's fucked. Everything's bad. Rio's sitting against the wall of the castle. Horn and Mackie are arguing. Mackie is like, I want Rio to lead as many people as she can to break out. And Horn is like, well, I should be the one to lead it. I'm the lieutenant. Blah, blah, blah. 
And Mackie's like, no, you're going to stay here. You're going to stick it out just like me. Because this motherfucking coward doesn't want to be a prisoner of war. He wants to be the glorious hero that broke away. And Mackie's not having that shit. Thank fucking God for her. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, so Rio heads back to her platoon. There are 15 of them left. And she says they're going to try to break out to get documents to headquarters. This is a volunteer-only mission. People that stay here will become prisoners, but probably survive. And people that go with her are likely to die, but they won't be prisoners. And out of this, she gets seven volunteers. Jeannot, Gear, Jack, Bibi, Melina, Mazer, and Private Sweetheart. So basically, like, all of our favorite characters right. that have been with her from the beginning. Yep. Except for it's Jenny... Jenny stays behind? Jenny Dial stays behind. She is, like, she's done. She's like, I'm just so tired. And Rio's like, I get it. I think she was injured, too. Yeah, she had, like, a gunshot wound to the leg or something. Can I admit to you that whenever I read her name, that I can only ever read it in, like, a weirdly southern accent? Like, Jenny Jenny Dial. Jenadile. Jenadile. It sounds like Jenadiah, which you also say in that oh. accent. Like Jenadile. Jenadile. Yeah, you're right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the Southerners are gonna get so mad. Yep. Yes, they are. <laughs> Suck Sorry, it. Friends. Suck it. We're from Canada and Minnesota, and you can fuck right off. We're from the north. And We're from place. the north, and we will say our words however we please up here. <laughs> We all say ope in the end. That's true. We do, that is that's cross barriers. Yep. Our unifying word. Our unifying oop. word. Oh. Oh. Sneak past you there. <laughs> Alright. She's got her people. They pack light. They leave in the following hour. They make their way through dark and smoky streets. And they leave footprints in the snow and have to walk backwards at some point, so it looks like they're going the other way. Um, they cross the freezing river, all while dodging German patrols. It's very sneaks. Such sneaky. Um, and at some point, gear falls into the ground. It's There's a big hole. And it's big enough for them to hide in, I guess. I could not get like a clear picture on what the fuck this whole structure thing was. But I totally whatever. imagined that it was like a World War One trench that had being filled in so like when they fell in they fell in a hole but they ended up in like an old 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 trench oh that's what i was imagining it didn't say that (laughs) per se i like that because they were saying it was clearly like man-made structure right exactly that's why i was kind of thinking like okay so it's like an old trench an old you know something that they covered okay I thought it was like he fell in a hole and there was a more different hole, like a burrow or something. Yeah, that's kind of how it like seemed or like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I had trouble placing this one too. Okay. There's a hole. They can go in it. So they do. Secret Um, tunnel. (laughs) Secret tunnel through the mountains. (laughs) Um, So they get in the hole. Melina finds a branch to cover up their tracks. The hole is about the size of a child's bedroom and was previously occupied by animals due to the smell. Um, Everybody crashes, except for Rio and except for Jack, who hang out near the entrance and swap sips of cognac from a flask. 
And they start talking very professionally as sergeant and soldier, but at some point Jack is like, so for the duration of this conversation, can we please just be Jack and Rio? And Rio knows what's coming, but she relents. Um, And Jack asks her what she is doing after the war, and she says she hasn't thought about it, that the war and staying alive has shoved everything else out of her head. He specifies the question, asks if she's going to marry the pilot. I like how he doesn't say Strand, he says the pilot. The pilot. Are you going to marry that pilot, boy? You gonna marry that pilot? (laughs) Pilot dude, his name, I don't even care. I don't even even care. I didn't even bother learning it, because it's, like, not important to me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Totally read that way. I fucking love Totally read that way. I don't know why he's a valley girl when he's English, but I dig it. (laughs) Fuck you. Like, for sure. Totally. My God. That's the dream is that they yell that at Strand Braxton. Oh, my God. I need it. Shit. Um, uh, Mary the pilot. Uh, Rio... After he asks that, Rio just kind of closes her eyes and she's thinking to herself, like, this is the worst conversation at the worst time in the worst place. Um, And she tells Jack that she saw Strand in Paris and he deserted. He's a deserter. And Jack's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And she's like, are you, though? And he doesn't say anything back. Um, And finally, she's like, listen, I know what you're asking. And I don't know how to be your sergeant and Rio but for now, I have to be your sergeant. And he starts to say that he, I assume, he starts to say that he has fallen for her. And she stops him. She puts her hand on his arm and is like, no, no, Jack, no, 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 no. Cuts him off before he can complete the sentence. And he just says, like, he's a man facing death who wants some hope. And she's like, hope is good. Now go the fuck to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Go the fuck to sleep. (laughs) And he does. I, like, on the one hand, I love Jack and Rio together. On the other hand, I'm like, kind of agreeing with Rio. It's like, this is not a good time. This is not the fucking time, man. Yeah, this is like a, (laughs) like, listen, if the war ends... Then we could discuss this. Mm-hmm. But, like, not now. <sighs> like, I get the incentive to be like, hey, we have a quiet moment to talk, and I have feelings, and also we could die at any moment. Like, I might as well just go out on the limb and say it. But also, like, girl, no. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's, like, really... <laughs> distracting Rio from her prime objective which is to keep y'all alive like I don't even think she's distracted though I think she's legitimately like I cannot process this like this just isn't the time like yeah it doesn't matter how I feel about you right now like now is not it yep I just I I think it was I think we talked about this before but I love that like I feel like normally it's like the stoic man who has all the responsibility, and the woman is like, but I love you, I fall for you. I love that those are reversed. Absolutely. It. It's so such good. a good flip. It's so fucking good. Yes. It's good. So fucking good. 
the strong woman has multiple male love interests. I love that. That's so. right, and she's not interested in them right now because it's fucking wartime. There's shit to do. Yep. Which is why I used to get so annoyed when I would watch a movie and it, and the girl would be like, oh, but, uh, it's like, no, it's not the time. There's a war happening. Pay attention. War. Literal Fuck war. You. Fuck you. Shut up. Keep it in your pants, Brenda. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So that horrible conversation happens and Jack goes, fucks off, go to sleep. And Rio sits there and thinks once again about after what's going to happen when she gets home. And she imagines herself again as a housewife, a mother. And she's like, do Mackie and Cole have partners? And she briefly has a fantasy about finding Cole after and taking him out for a beer and thanking him because she now understands how much responsibility he carried for them. Um, And she is broken out of her thoughts by movement outside and she quietly wakes everyone in the hole. She sneaks out to the top of the hole and nearby sees two soldiers taking a break. German soldiers. Um, And she quietly tells everyone that if the Germans set up pickets, they will move out when the sun goes down. So they spend the rest of the day in the hole and they're being painstakingly quiet. They are quietly opening their sea rations. They have to dig a, a little piss hole in the thing and it's just, it sucks. They just have to be so fucking quiet because the Germans are right on top of them. Um, and when darkness falls, Rio quietly climbs out again to see a pair of different German soldiers who have dug themselves a hole, and they, they actually dug themselves a hole almost on top of the entrance of, of Rio's hole. Um, and she, like, I imagine this takes place over, like, 10 to 15 minutes. She gets on her belly and she crawls towards them as quietly as she can, and she is so fucking lucky that the wind is blowing her scent away from her because she's so close to them they should be able to smell her finally she lunges forward and stabs one of them right in the throat with her blade um and she uh swings down into the hole to kill the other one and he manages to keep his hand at the level of his eyes and he blocks the blade with his hand um and she he tries to yell she hits him in the gut to silence him but he is parrying all of her blows and she's stabbing at him, but not fatally. He's bigger and stronger than her. And she's like, oh shit, this could go very badly. Finally, she's like on the ground. She stabs upwards into his crotch. And he screams and bolts. And he tries to get out of the hole. The knife is still sticking out between his uniform trousers. She grabs the knife, pulls it out, grabs him, pulls him down, and slices him across the throat. And she waits until they're dead. And then she gets out of the hole and gathers the rest of her group. She stabbed him in the nuts. She did do that, yeah. Yeah. Stabbed him. Right. Right in the scrotum. I just, the image of him trying to climb out the hole with the sword sticking out, I'm just like, ah. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah. She is a terrifying, terrifying woman. Yep. All right. We get our third green recruit point of view and by the, yep. by this time it's like i mean by the second one it's like oh you can't pull another fast one on me michael grant and now it's like okay now what michael grant? yeah what what do you got for us exactly as soon as we went into this new recruits perspective i was like i'm not falling for whatever trick it is and then i'm like well 
okay, well, he's not going to kill him because he already killed the last two. He's not going to uh, do it a third time. Then I'm like, well, he would definitely do it a third time. It is war. And then I'm like, no, he's going to do something trickier because yeah. you can't fool me. So, like, this whole chapter, yeah. I was less reading and more in a fight with Michael Grant without him yeah. being there. It was like a mind game. It was a fucking mind game. And I, I do love that we get such different characters that are green and such different reactions from all of them. Yeah. And this one I think was like one of my favorites. It was it was wild. It, it was, was absolutely wild. Never for a second could I have predicted where the next action was going. Yep. Not once. <laughs> Alright, so this is Martha Swan. She is 18 years old from Chicago, Illinois. She comes from an academic family and she loves to read. And even though she was drafted into the war against her will, she thinks it might be a good opportunity for her to observe the proceedings up close. The war will soon be over, after all. What a weird academic approach. <laughs> I'm so glad I get to study this war firsthand. <laughs> I will just be over here with my little clipboard taking notes. No, on you what fucking I won't. Girl. Girl, get girl. it together. You don't even know. Ugh. Well, after she graduated basic, she found herself in freezing northern Europe, getting into a jeep with a young PFC named Benjamin Barry Bethingthwaite. Bethingthwaite. BB, it's BB. It's BB, and I did have to read Bassingwaith like three times before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, but we were wondering what his real name was. I think last, like, last episode. episode. Yeah, and, and we like, got it. We did, and it's gone already. Other than Bassingwaith, I yeah. and I love him. He's like, that's my name, but I call myself BB. Everyone calls me BB. I call myself BB. Yeah. Like, just call me BB. There's a lot of bees. Yeah. From, like, Bolton or whatever as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's so precious. I love him. Yeah, he's amazing. Oi. I, Um, oh. Oh. Yes. I just had a thought because the next things you were going to say was about him and Janot. And I'm like, what if BB and Janot got together? (gasps) That would be fucking adorable. Okay, I'm sorry. I need to stop shipping these characters. All right, continue. Sorry. It's great. I love that. Um, so yeah, she gets in the Jeep with BB. He's delightfully pleasant to her, assuring her that she's not cold yet, but she will be. Um, they drive in the dark. They hear nearby artillery. And finally, after a while, he kills the engine and is greeted by a voice. And Martha finds herself moving rations and other supplies with Jeannot, BB, and Chester. Afterward, Jeannot says that Martha should spend the night in Mazer's hole because he's out of the war. Not because he's dead, but he won't be winning any foot races anytime soon. So, yep. Uh, Good job, I guess. Congratulations. They're like, oh man, we like that guy. He was good with a bazooka, and now he's gone. He just can't run. He just can't run. His foot's gone. (sighs) So Martha follows them through the cold and she thinks about how she's from Chicago and she is used to the cold, but there's no fireplace or hot cocoa to look forward to. And I'm just like, oh, you sweet summer child. Um, 
As she is contemplating all of this, she realizes she has lost her party and she's alone in the woods and she starts to panic. Artillery starts falling around her and she drops to the ground in panic and she's babbling incoherently. Jeannot comes by and yanks her forward and into a hole. Martha realizes she's wet herself. She's freezing. There's explosions everywhere. There's water in her boots and she's crying and she just wants to go home already. Um, the artillery stops, but Jeannot doesn't let Martha leave the hole, and sure enough, more shells start falling. When it stops for real, Jeannot is like, Okay, the call sign is hair. The response is brush. I gotta go. Bye. And Martha's like, Wait, 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 what about the Germans? And Jeannot's like, Oh, they'll be here shortly. Make sure to shoot them. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking wild. So she's just sitting in this freezing hole all by herself for an undetermined amount of time. And then, like, this next scene plays out. She's, like, in the hole. She can't see anything. And there's just, like, voices up above her. She hears somebody nearby. She calls out hair. And the voice responds, shut the fuck up. She hears a gunshot. And then, like, so sweet, baby deer, meat. And then more artillery falling around here. She hears another strong female voice shouting orders. We know who this is. And this, like pea-stained weeping girl finally peeks out of her hole to see a German standing right near her. He shoots at her, but misses, and then something inside of her just fucking snaps. She grabs her gun, climbs out of the hole, and chases this dude down, screaming all of the while. And Private Sweetheart takes this German out, and he laughs at her to get back in her hole. She does, and she instantly falls asleep, and that is- that's Martha. That's Martha Swan, everyone. Is Martha- just all of us <laughs> I mean I I argue Martha is the everyman character okay she just, she covers all the emotions she t- in like a couple of hours she goes from like everything's fine I'm just gonna watch to oh god everything's bad to oh god I'm actively having a panic attack I've peed myself and everything, I'm gonna cry. And then, oh, I gotta kill this dude. And to, I'm asleep. Like, just like, it was It was brilliant. It was fucking brilliant. It was amazing. This was a fucking five-act play. Yeah! It, in like a couple of hours. It was, a la Munch Squad, it was a story within a story. It was. And I was here for it. It was so wild. It was so wild. And she was just so like, I'm fine. I'm scared. Oh, I'm terrified. Oh, I'm never recovering from this. Oh, I'm going to fuck up a German. I'm tired. I take nap right here. <laughs> That's perfect. That's a perfect summary. Like, that was, it was so good. <laughs> and, like, everything. I'm like, oh, God. Every time, like, I was like, oh, God. Oh, no. So good. So good. I loved this so much. She's so good. Oh, She's so, and so like, good. And we got in the beginning when she first arrived and, and like the veteran recruits are like, oh yeah, like get ready to be real cold and like, you know, kind of being cheerful about the devastation around them. So like we've seen that before quite a few times, but like, oh man. It was like, here's a scene you've seen before, but, like, sped up and taken in a direction you were not expecting. Right. Like, <laughs> like 
almost like if you could see the arc of one of the girls that we've been following on Fast Forward, here's her front lines book. Like, here's yeah. her book one. We're just yep. going to do it a chapter. Don't worry. We're not going to spend time on this. Like, we've already done it. But, like, here, just enjoy this. Yep. Oh, God. But, like, imagine from... Like, just imagine this from the perspective of the German who is, like, standing over there thinking, like, oh, I'm, I've am i got this. I have the upper hand. And this desperate-looking young baby girl comes crawling out of a hole at you, screaming, brandishing a gun, and you're, like, you start to back up, like, oh, God. And she just keeps running. And so then you're, like, oh, my God. And you start running. Like, just imagine that from the German's perspective. <laughs> And she, like, she does not shoot this man. She just has her gun, and she's <laughs> screaming and charging him. She's not trying to shoot him. She's just screaming at him. I fucked it's so powerful. I it's love it. It's so powerful. It's such a, like... <laughs> like, it was, it was the scene, if there was no stabbing after it, it was her pulling off her helmet going... I am no man and just like running yeah. screaming like it's it's so it's so powerful. Oh my god. <laughs> it's I it's so good. I loved it so much. It's fantastic. Oh my god. <sighs> yep. Just so good. <laughs> just so good. Oh man. All right. At some point later, I presume it's later, um, Rio is trying to make holes in the ground using grenades because the ground is fucking frozen. Well, the top part of the ground is frozen. Once you get far enough down, there's just water. So she has added Frangie to the rump platoon and insists that Frangie do a trench foot inspection of everybody. Um cut to now i guess they are both in a hole together they are wearing as many clothes as they can possibly fit on their bodies they have stripped them off of corpses for the past long while they are freezing the cold is everywhere the cold is inside of them everything is awful and Rio wonders if her soldiers would be tempted if the germans promised hot meals and beds in exchange for surrender except for the fact that the malmody massacre is now known to all of them and that the G.I.s had fought and hated before this, but now they will fight with absolutely no ambivalence, and they will kill with pleasure. They are no longer soldiers, but hunters. At that point, Chester comes by with a German prisoner, and Fringy is just like, well, I'll leave you to it, bye, and nopes out of the hole. Rio calls on Jeannot and instructs her to take the prisoner down the hill for questioning, and take Bibi in case he finds something to scrounge and how this is all coded speech for the benefit of the green troops who have not experienced as much war as they have. So, Jeannot and Private Sweetheart and Bibi lead this guy like a dog through the woods. He's got, like, a rope around his neck. Uh, the guy is trying to talk to them in German, and they are dutifully ignoring him. Finally, they take him far enough and put him up against a tree, and Jeannot gives him a cigarette, and he instantly knows what's going on. He starts pleading... He says his name is Heinrich. He shows her a photo of his children. He is crying, dropping to his knees, begging for his life. And Jeannot just has her gun in her hands and she just says, Malmody, and shoots him in the throat. And they just 
retrieve his photographs, they take his clothes, they leave his body in the snow, and they go off to company to get some hot food. And one of my favorite parts about that was that, like, he's showing, like, these are my kids, and, and Jeannot is, like, noting, like, there was a young boy, there was a young girl, there was his wife. Like, Jeannot looked. She mm-hmm. looked at everything, and he's saying, please, like, please don't kill me. And she shot him in the throat so he had time to think about his fucking actions as he died. And she's totally fine with that. Yep. Like, it's really a tone setter for just how yeah horrific... <laughs> Uh, yep. It's like we had rules, we, and you yeah. broke those fucking rules. Yeah. And bets are off. Hey, remember when you were like walking through a field, laughing, shooting all of my fellow soldiers yep. in the head? Yeah. Yep. That was funny, wasn't it? It was a hey, good joke, a wasn't it? It was a real good yep. fucking joke. Yep. Oh. Man. We. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that that it was mentioned in the narrator that somebody did that, like shot a German in the throat yep. like that. And, and that we actually got to see that happen. I was like, oh, here they it talked is. about this. Here's the scene. It was now that she saw it right in the thing. She <laughs> knew it happened. She knew. Because she was there. She was she there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Now it's time to go back to Frangie and her sad, sad times. Yay! Go, Frangie! Go, Frangie, you can do it. (laughs) It's her birthday. Um, Day after day goes by in the freezing cold. Germans are launching probing attacks, which are repulsed by the Americans. It's all very repetitive. It's all very terrible. Frangie is becoming increasingly aware of the mental state of the soldiers around her. They found Gear huddled and freezing in the woods, surrounded by dead Germans. And as tough as he is, nobody can take the fear and the cold day after day. She sends the worst cases down to the aid station for a day or two to thaw them out in the warmth, because a half-thought-out soldier is good for a couple more days on the line. Like, that's the point that they're at. Um... The Belgians have been nothing but welcoming to the American soldiers, opening their homes and donating clothes and food and volunteering to help out the Allies. They've they've just been great, apparently. Um, we cut to now, and Frangie is bringing a patient with a bullet wound to the aid station. There is no morphine left. She has a couple vials that she keeps warm under her armpits, but... That's that's all that there's left. The aide doctor says he's using brandy for amputations, which Frangie knows is a little better than aspirin. <laughs> like, they're fucked. Supplies are short everywhere. Food to ammo. Bandages are just rags that are being boiled between patients and are permanently stained with blood. And Frangie wonders how long everyone can hold out with no new stuff coming in. Uh, over by the field kitchen, there's this huge pile of corpses just piled on top of each other, frozen. And she eats warmed up sea rations at the field kitchen. And then she goes to drive herself back to the front lines, but her Jeep is dead. So she's like, well, guess it's time to walk. She starts the mile and a half walk. She thinks about how she already lost a little toe to frostbite, how she used Rio's knife to chop it off. (laughs) This is all bad. 
And there's no point in dreaming of worn beds anymore, because this is reality. This cold and the sound of artillery and these dead trees. And at some point, she trips and falls, and she thinks, well, this is it. Might as well just stay down here. I'm gonna go to sleep now. And she lies there for 20 minutes, until a vehicle pulls up beside her, and somebody starts slapping her awake, and she's thinking, like, oh god, I'm dead, and they're stripping my body. Like, <laughs> it's, it's awful. Um... And the person slapping her awake is Rainy. She's like, Frangie, what the hell are you doing? Are you giving up? And Frangie nods, because what is even the point anymore? Rainy says, well, before you give up, look up. And they look up at the sky. They see a field of blue with great big white flowers blossoming. They are parachutes, and they are dropping fresh supplies. Rainy tells Frangie that General McAuliffe had got word from the Germans to surrender, and all he said was nuts to that. And now they have supplies. Now they have the tools to victory. They will go on fighting and maybe dying, but by God, they will win this war. And that's the end of this section. That was such a fucking powerful moment too. Like yep. waking up to hope and all the all the soldiers realizing it across like the battlefields and like cheering and everything. Oh, that was such oh a good my moment. God, so my good. God. Uh, God, it ended on a hopeful note. It was getting bad in there. It was just an entire section of just the grind and hopelessness and darkness yeah. and more horrific shit. Michael fucking Grant. Michael Grant, answer for your crimes, man. How dare you, How Michael? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, We're almost done. Look at I me. know. I'm so, like... I'm less upset now that you found out that there was other short stories and we have them. Yay! We're ready. We're ready for Frontlines to not end yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is great news. Like, this is that's the upsetting part about like Animorphs is that like you know how many books there are exactly down to the numbers. With series we haven't read before, surprises abound. Yay! We got that Cassie short story interview thing coming at some point. Yeah, hopefully. the Rolling Stones interview with Cassie. Yeah. Oh, I want that so bad. I need it. I need it. Give it to me. I need Give it to me. Launch your website already. I need to see the website. I need the website. <laughs> Where's Rachel? <laughs> oh, no. Rachel, where are the drums? <laughs> so sorry. <gasps> Uh, we always do that. I know. <laughs> we always do the Batman. I it's don't, just so easy. It's just so easy. I mean, it's almost as easy as Transatlantic Man. I can't say it unless I say it in the accent. Otherwise, I just stumble yeah, you over got the, it. the Transatlantic yeah, there Man. There you go. Yeah, see? <laughs> see how I couldn't say it normally? We never saw that guy again. He lives on in our hearts. He might still come voice. back. We don't know. Oh. He's in New York oh. City. That'd be such a skirt. <laughs> That guy was a nightmare from hell. He was awful. I'm glad we, we reclaimed him in a way. <laughs> we did. We did. I, I immortalized him as Milton Klein, detective at Milton the Lodge. Klein. Milton Klein. Oh, it's like Milton Bradley, but it's Milton Klein. Klein. It's Milton Klein. Fucking <laughs> great. Disappointed so in myself. I'm not. <laughs> I endorse everything you're doing. Keep doing that. Okay. Delightful. What else about this book? Uh, God. 
there's so much about this book and like there's so much more to come I fucking Frangi oh my god Frangi you poor sweet baby this was like a really Frangi heavy section I think like it was I mean like there was lots of Frangi there was lots of Frangi but like Frangi's like she went through it man seeing Rainy step up into kind of an a an almost caretaker role for Frangie. Yeah. That was really interesting because we've up until this point, Rainy has just been breaking down over everything that happened to her. So Yeah. Do we have do we have predictions for the end? Do we have hopes <laughs> and dreams? Do we even want to go there? Like, I, I don't, know. don't know if we want to go there. Okay. Especially because, right, because the the first page is the camps. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm not looking forward to that at all. And, like, no. I don't want to be, like, goof, goof around, like, oh, it's the end of the book. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to see so-and-so and so. Like, I don't, I don't feel good about it at all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, no. And I'm, like, really afraid of how much research Michael Grant will have put into oh. this. Oh my god. Because like, I I haven't kept it a secret that I enjoy reading like the, or not enjoy, but like I, I am drawn to reading World mm -hmm. War II books like from the perspective of soldiers and so on and like what they went through. Mm -hmm. So knowing that Michael Grant will have gone into that and more, I'm really... Yeah. Interested to see. And like, oh God, this is horrible. But I, I also just saw there's there's this trend going around that's that's been really um interesting where somebody posited like what's a history fact that chokes you up? And <laughs> um one of the ones was that the camps that we know about that we have records of are because people could survive there. We don't oh. have records of people at the death camps because there was something like 90 survivors. They would oh, take millions of people into the death, probably not millions, don't quote me on numbers, but they take all of the people into the death camps and they were killed right then and there. Like people did not yeah. escape. So we don't even have the full perspective and the full story. So mm -hmm. knowing that horrificness and knowing how far that our sweet author has taken us before. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to expect. Yeah. Other than horrificness. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's going to be bad. Yeah. Going to need a palate cleanser. Yeah, I think it's going to be probably the toughest recording of this series, I'm sure. Yep. So that's my prediction. Oh my god. Well, on that uplifting note, shall we end this? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You can, I guess, write us about, ugh, I don't even know, your favorite Jeff Goldblum meme or all of your thoughts on this series and any others that we've read or are going <laughs> to read at anonymousanimors at gmail.com 
Or, you know, check us out on our Facebook at Animorphs Anonymous, Apple Grant Book Club. You can join our super secret, super awesome subgroup, the Andalite Bandalites. You can find us on Twitter at Apple Grant Cast or at Animorphs Anon or on Instagram at Animorphs Anonymous or Apple Grant Cast. You can find us all of those places to tell us all of your thoughts and feelings. Thoughts. Thoughts. You can also come to a place, a magical place called discord where we are sometimes um, all the time all the time it's really rare that we're not there one of us is there at any given point in the day anyway we're there it's a discard there's lots of other cool people that like animarts we're all gonna hang out and hang out together um if you want to join our discord you can hit us up on any of our socials we'll get you the link and you can come have a good time with us yeah um if you like Animorphs Anonymous and you like YouTube, Animorphs Anonymous is on YouTube. You can go catch up and re- listen to the podcast all over again in, in full YouTube 3D experience um, at Strong Shape International. That's the name of our channel. We share it with Cadmus Crisis Boys. Go look at that and listen to us talk about Animorphs on this Animorphs podcast that we have. Who knew? Not I. Not I. What if I'm sick of all of the YouTubes and all of the podcasts and all of the shit that we have said prior to this, and I just want to read a webcomic? I thought you were just going to say you were sick. <laughs> what if I'm sick? What if I'm sick? What if I'm what if down I'm... with the sickness? That's a song. And hey, you know what else has songs? My webcomic that I make and draw. It's called Beside You. Uh, it's about music. It's about romance. It's real cute. You can read it for free at bsideyoucomic.com. You can read it on Tapas. You can read it on Webtoons. You can read it on Patreon. And in fact, you can read early access pages on Patreon. You can get work in progress pages. You will know what's happening before anyone else. And if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. So if you want to get in on that action, you can go to patreon.com slash kcdstudios. And help me support making this comic that I like to do. And if you join the Patreon for the low, low cost of $5,000 a month, that's right, Dan and I have a studio production now. We've got microphones. We've got televisions. We don't know how to work them. This could take us 86 years to figure out, but we bought all the shit, and now for we need it, $5,000 a month, please, our families... Are supporting us we're about to go broke we will do this later cast please for the love of god we're about to lose our homes our pets no, are no. going hungry we're eating dog oh, no. food with them neither of us even have a dog no wait i think dan does whatever it's fine <laughs> <laughs> oh no but but though but though i've listened to the slater cast it was great. I want to listen to more things. I want to listen to more podcasts about Animorphs, about Alex, about horses, I heard. There was one of those. Yeah, that's that's real unfortunate because Dan and I have sunk everything into there. And we will be focusing only on the Slater cast. But if you want to check out some podcasts that I was formerly on, uh, there is one about <laughs> horses. It's called Horse Girls. And it's with the famous Jenna, the amazing Tim. Tim's beautiful Appalachian voice. He hates it when I say that. I will say it forever. We are on this podcast together where we read 
Young Adult Horse Books Heartland. Now we're doing special Heartland series and other books that we just like. Hey, fuck it. And uh, it's a great time. We tell you all about this book. Listen, I'm really hyping up the book part. It is 10 minutes about the book. It is 45 minutes of us doing fucking goofs that are hilarious and doing a horse quiz, which people I've heard have rioted when it does not appear on the show, which happened (laughs) all of one time. It's fine. So check out Horse Girls. It's delightful. Jenna and Tim are fucking delightful and amazing. And I will miss them now that I am trapped in the studio and Dan and I can only produce one podcast. (laughs) But it's okay. Listen, I have another backlog too that I should tell you about. It's Dungeons and Draken Beams, which is an Animorphs D&D podcast that I'm on where I play an idiot teenager with a death wish that touches a lot of animals. And I have facts on that podcast and I feel like I contributed a lot. It's really sad that I had to stop to focus on Dan and and ice oh, no. studio problem <laughs> no i have a feeling the slater cast is a regret that you have perhaps listen I've imprisoned you we went into it so hopeful we now own a building i can't talk about what we had to promise to get the building oh no let's just say we're desperate oh no <laughs> it's okay though it's okay. There's like there's like thirty goddamn episodes of Dungeons and Draken Beams. There's like twenty some odd episodes of Horse Girls. And you can also find me on other podcasts around like Cadmus to Crisis, the boys we talked about earlier. I'm on that one, which is in hiatus. Soup salad sandwich, but that's hiatus, but there's a backlog. It's fine. And like maybe there's some other super secret projects that are gonna come out after our studio isolation time that we can't tell you about, but are pre-recorded, so it's okay. You'll still get the content, even though I've now retired from everything but the Slater cast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. This took a turn. A dark, dark turn. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm a little scared. I'm apprehensive. Yeah. About all of this. My credit's in shambles. Oh no, not your credit. <laughs> I'll buy you guys a pizza for all your hard work. Oh, thank you. It's been three days since we've eaten real food. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, thank you to Jess for our awesome theme music that we love. You can find her on Twitter at Interese. Um, what else? <laughs> oh no I don't know what else do we talk about I don't know I've run out of I've run out of it it's all gone I'm just gonna lie in the snow and give up this is gonna be our longest outro ever because we're here at the end of it like what else do we say what else do we say Dan help Dan. us I don't see this is how deep into Slater cast retirement I've gone is I've completely erased our seven minute outro from memory. <laughs> Dan, it's gone. What have you done no to thoughts. me? No thoughts. No just vibes. only Slater cast. Only Slater cast. Oh no. All I can think about is Slater day in, day out. <laughs> uh grumpy man. He's so mad. Okay. Okay. Join us next time when we're sad together about 
about the end of this shit. That's right. I'm going to be in shambles. Shambles. Just like your credit score. Just like my credit score. (laughs) Shambles. (laughs) All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.